Hey, good evening, guys. How are you doing? Hey, listen, I'm so excited. I get to introduce our speaker tonight. And I've known this guy for a little bit amount of time. And so um, I just wanted to contextualize. I wanted to, to, to introduce this guy. That way, when you're coming up here, you're not like, who is this guy and where did he find his beard? Are you kidding me? What is this? Oh, my gosh. And so me and Zach, we met um, freshman year of college. So me and him were both from Pennsylvania. Uh, we grew up in the same district. We had seen each other at youth retreats and youth camps, but we never knew each other, right? And so we get to college, and uh, Zach, this is, this is my introduction to Zach. I meet him, I'm like, oh, nice guy, yeah, cool. He comes back to class the next day, and he has a mohawk this tall, and he shaved the rest of his head. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Zach was the kind of guy that we'd be driving through town. We went to a, a small, small college town, and he'd be driving through town, and you see Zach skateboarding down the sidewalk. I'm like, huh, that's who this guy is. All right, Mohawk, skateboard, got it. I think I've nailed him, right? Um, go to his room, became friends with him and his roommate, Jeff Zeta. Go to his room, and I find out that this guy consumes five pounds of gummy bears every week. I'm like, huh, so that's who this guy is. All right, <laughs> all right, this is kind of cool. And then we... Uh, we get to junior year of college. We, we really start to become good friends. We're, we're reading books together. We're praying together. We, we joined a small group together. And, uh, and Zach starts to do this weird thing where he lets his beard go. <laughs> and it was like, huh, so that's who this guy is. All right. And then we, we get all the way to the end of senior year. And, um, man, Zach has become such a good friend. Man, he's, he's the guy that he would be encouraging me. I remember there was a, a, a season of my life where I said, dude, you know that whole praying thing that we should be doing and like talking to God like we learned? He's like, yeah. I go, I don't do that. He's like, I'll help with that. I go, okay, whatever that means. That next week, he'd come and bang on my door. Do you remember this, bro? He would come and bang on my door every morning at 5.30 a.m., right, on my dorm. And then when I wouldn't answer, he would open my door because I never locked my doors. Some things don't change. And he'd come into my dorm and just like shake me awake and go, hey, man, let's go pray. And all right, we go pray. And so this guy, I'm going to bring it all the way full circle. This guy was in my wedding. Love this guy. He's a brother to me. He's my groomsman. We've grown together for four years. And now as I get married, I want to be standing up there next to the guys who helped me become who I am, right? And so Zach and my other friends, Aaron, and, and actually a lot of them are going to be here this week. They're all coming in town for a groomsman reunion for Thanksgiving. So it'll be sick. We're going to have a good time. But here's, here's the final, huh, that's who Zach is. And so Zach, he has a special calling, as you will hear, to African people. Like, he loves African people, right? Not African-Americans, African people, like, from Africa. And so we had Africans at our school, and it was like a magnet to Zach. He'd be walking around campus, and it was like, all the African exchange students would come, Zaki, oh, Zaki, Baba, teach me English, Zaki. Write my paper for me, Zaki, right? It was like, we were like, man, maybe there really is some calling on your life, man, because like, they just relate to you. And so what happened was, as he was relating with these Africans, they started to rub off on him. And one thing that you learn about African culture is that they're not very punctual, okay? They're not on time. They say, hey, I'll be there at 7. They're strolling to the door at 8.30, okay? And so Zach started to become known in college for African time. We go, where's Zach? He's on African time. He'll be here when he's here. So how many of you guys know that when you get married, you better not be on African time? And so, it's the morning of my wedding, right? I got my best man in my room. He's coaching me up. And he's like, 
get your vowels, right? Uh, 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 loosen up the lips, right? Make sure, all right, now it's time to get dressed. And I'm just like a zombie that day. I'm just like, it's like the slowest day and the longest day at the same time. And so I'm going and I'm going. And I'm like, all right, what do I do next, Jared? He's like, brush your teeth. I'm like, okay, brush my teeth, brush my teeth, right? What do I do next? He's like, get dressed. So we're getting dressed. And he goes, now it's time for the, groom and the groomsmen to get together for pictures. I go, okay, where are the groomsmen? One, two, three, four. Where's Zach? Where's Zach? Morning of my wedding, Zach decides to go out with a couple buddies and go sightseeing around Washington, D.C., where I got married. So he's going around the monuments, going sightseeing, wants to go see the Martin Luther King Memorial. We're like, where's Zach? So we're taking pictures, we're in our tuxes, where's Zach? And finally, I don't care if he's here, I'm getting married, I want to get married. So we get in the elevator, we go downstairs, and then Zach comes in. Guys, I'm so sorry, I'm like, like run upstairs and get married. And so I actually told him youth group started at 5 o'clock today. He just showed up. And so I want you guys to welcome with me Zach Wabel as he's going to come and share the word tonight. Thanks, Pastor Sam. So uh, every $5 you guys give to missions, I'll tell you an embarrassing story about Pastor Sam. All right? Sound like a deal? <laughs> and there's plenty of them to go around. But again, I'm thankful to be here. I want to thank you guys uh, because sometimes you take offerings, you give. How many know what Speed the Light is? No, you guys don't do Speed the Light? No, okay. Well, you guys give money to missions. You guys pray from time to time for missionaries. So I'm one of the missionaries that your church supports. So a lot of the money and the prayers that you're giving towards, uh, they're going to what we're doing in Africa. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit more about that later. But I guess you guys have been doing the series, right? Who knows what the series is called? Let there, oh, wow, it's right there. All right. Let there be light. Good. What is the series about? What are we talking about? Light. Okay. Missions. Missions. We're talking about this big plan that God has to seek and to save the lost. You know, God sent Jesus to the world because he loved the world. And uh, so we're going to look at the last point today, or the last, uh, I guess you could say, message in the series. And this one's going to be the the last stage, or the, what did we call it tonight? The end of the story. Dun, dun, dun. So there's this big mission that God has, not only for us as his children, but the whole world. You know, he created the world. He spoke it out of nothing. It came into existence. And every single one of us, the Bible says, he has a plan for our lives. He knew us before we were born. In our mother's womb, God created us. He knew every aspect. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every detail that's going on in our life. And so for God to know all of those things, he has to have a specific plan. And so we're going to look at the book of Revelation and uh, look at this picture that's going to show us the end uh, of this big plan that God has. How many are sports fans around here? Do we have a few? Okay, a couple. How about football fans? Don't stone me, but I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Come from. All right, come on. We get fans everywhere we go. But <laughs> and uh, so when you're just imagine you're playing this football game. Those of you who don't know sports, I'm sure you've seen football. Even if you don't have a competitive bone in your body, you can kind of appreciate uh, certain games, how they go. But imagine we're playing the biggest game of our life, okay? This is our team right here. What do we have, like 100 people? We've got a huge team, and we're going to play the, uh, the, the biggest opponent, the biggest rival that we have. What do we do in preparation for that big game? I mean, this is the biggest game of our life. Pastor Sam, what do we do? What's the two words you always say? Get big. We want to get big. We're going to start exercising. We're going to stop eating five pounds of gummy bears every week. 
How many know that will really slow you down on the field? Yeah, yeah. We're going to study the, the opposing team, the things uh, that they're doing, the tactics that they're going to use. Someone spilled. I'm going to slip right there. But uh, they, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to beat this opposing team that we're playing. Well, imagine if we were given a tape, all right? We're given a video of how the game is going to go down, exactly what's going to happen, second by second, minute by minute, play by play. We watch, you know, who's going to be our quarterback? All right, we got a, what's your name, bro? Gavin. Gavin's our quarterback. We see all of the, all of the passes he throws. Who's our running back? You want to be our running back? No? All right, you want to be, what's your name? John is our running back. We see John juking it, laying on the stiff arm. This guy comes up for a tackle. Bop! Gotcha. You know, left and right, he's going one way, pulls out a spin. We see play by play what happens. And we know at the end, we're going to kill the opposing team. I mean, not just win, we're going to crush them, like 500 to zero, <laughs> not even a chance. Wouldn't you be excited? I mean, you're like, man, so we, we've, got this, we've got this game going, we, we've been preparing, we've been going, and all of a sudden, right before it happens, we're given this tape, we see detail for detail what's going to happen. That's kind of what we've been given in the book of Revelation. So we have this mission, this plan that God has for us and for all of humanity, and God gave a vision to the Apostle John. He gave a vision so that we could see today how the end all plans out. And that doesn't mean we sit back and we're lazy and we're like, okay, we know what's going to happen, so we just don't have a part. No, we could be like, wow, we are special. We're God's chosen people that he has picked, that he has chosen, that he has called forth to have a purpose in fulfilling his mission on this earth. Does that excite anyone tonight? You guys want to be a part of that big plan? No, just a few people. All right. Every person that says amen, I'm going to give another embarrassing story about Sam. All right, there we go. Come on. <laughs> All right, if you guys have your Bibles, or if you don't, we can look on the screen. We're going to look here at Revelation uh, chapter 7. So let's read this together. Remember, this is a vision that was given to help show us what the end is going to look like. I mean, we've, I, I'm hoping up to this point you've already looked uh, what the mission of God is. You've seen that God's plan to seek and to save that which was lost. Can we get the verses up there on the screen? Starting in verse 9, Revelation chapter 7. I'll read it right from there. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Uh, and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So let's go back to that verse 9. The first thing that we can see from this text here in verse 9, it says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude. There would be people from every nation, tribe, and people group. So that means literally every country. When we're talking about nations, we're not just talking about uh, land mass. We're talking about speaking people speaking languages, nation, ethnic, linguistic groups. But every nation, tribe, people, and language, they will stand before the throne of God. Number one, every human will stand before the throne of God. I mean, since the, the foundation of the earth, Every single human who passes into existence and lives here uh, up until the day that they die, 
they will one day stand before the throne of God. There is, when you look back at the history of how God created the earth and everything he did, we know certain things about who God is. God is loving. God is good. God is kind. God is just. How many know when you're a nice person, it's hard for you to act out of character for who you are? Does any, has anyone ever realized that? I mean, we, you know, we, we slip up here or there, but God being perfect, he has these characteristics, these, these abilities of who he is, um, some of the, what we've already said, loving, kind, good, just, and because of who he is, there's certain things that oppose what he is. So God being good, he can't have anything to do with things that are bad. God being loving, he can't have certain things uh, that would be hatred or, or so on and so forth. God being just, God being righteous, he had to have a standard for which he is. So there's, there's this thing that we call sin. Everyone born into humanity was born with sin. Sin is, you know, sometimes we think it's just a bad mistake. It's a nature that we were born with. Let me give you a short imagination or a short glimpse here. I need a volunteer. Can you come up? All right, you, buddy. Imagine my friend. What's your name? JJ. Got to say it loud. JJ. Imagine JJ is a pig. Has anyone? No, no, no. <laughs> Has anyone grown up on a farm? I'm from a town of 400 people, so my best friends growing up were chickens and cows. Pigs, who can tell me what a pig eats? Slop, everything, yep. Not just everything, everything disgusting. I mean like 30-week-old diapers, milk that's been sitting in your fridge for years. I mean that, zu that zucchini bread that your grandma made and you threw out and you forgot to take the garbage out and it just manifested something. <laughs> All of those things you put together, pigs, our brother JJ is a pig, pigs by very nature, by, they were born to eat slop. Can you show us eating slop right now? Could you just give us an imagination, like a, a picture? No, you don't want to be a part of that? Okay, anyways, let's just imagine JJ is this pig. He was created to eat slop, by very nature to eat slop. And instantly, he's changed from a pig to a human being. What's he going to do while he's eating that slop now that he's a human? He's going to barf. He's going to spit it out. He's going to run to the nearest five guys and get some burgers. Come on, he's going to run to a Chipotle and get a nice burrito. Yeah, yeah. Costco and get some pizza. The things that we were created to eat. Thanks, you can sit down. That's like a picture of what happens. We were born with sin, okay? We were born with sin. It's this natural ability. Imagine if we were all, we'll just, we'll just picture sin being like equated to being a pig. But much, much, much worse. God speaks from the beginning. God hated sin so much that he wiped out the entire earth in the days of Noah. I mean, you might think, wow, that's kind of harsh. That kind, that's kind of big. There might have been a lot of people living during that day. But God saved one family, Noah and his family, and wiped out the entire earth. Because he had to show a picture of how much sin really deeply affected the human beings that lived on this earth. And so God being righteous, God being good, God being great, he has this standard in which he holds. And so if everybody was created uh, or born with this sinful nature, it would be hard. What would happen when someone with that sinful nature one day has to stand before God? What would happen? We would have to stand that test. We would have to see. So we have this picture here. There was sin that, that infested the land. All of us were born with that sinful nature. 
And so to point even, I gave a little bit of an illustration, but to give something else, I want to I paint this a little deeper because sometimes we have to get it. What's, all right, let me go to a girl. What's one of your, what's your favorite thing, Kelly? What's your favorite, Ellie, what's your favorite thing like in the whole world? Ice cream? No, I mean something you own. Maybe something like a family member. Your phone, her iPhone. Everyone loves their iPhone. But we're going to imagine this is like a, like a $10,000 gold-plated iPhone. She's waiting one day to sell it off. It's like her most prized possession. Okay? What if I stole Ellie's iPhone? What if I stole your iPhone? How would you feel inside? Pretty upset. Not just that I steal it like you didn't know who it was. You knew I stole it. You would maybe want to take me to court, take me to the judge, take me here or there. So there's this picture of we want justice to prevail against the things that are bad or the, the people that do bad things. And so that same feeling you have, it must play out with disobeying and not following the commands of God, living out that sinful nature. So there is a God in heaven, and one day we will stand before his throne. So I would ask this question tonight. When we ask ourselves, what would happen? Are we ready to stand before that throne of God? But two, we can continue to go on. These people, and most of us who are here today, we're here because what Jesus had done in our lives. But let's go to the next verse. Are we able to go back to verse 10? Or verse 9? So all these people, every people, nation, tribe, and language, are standing before the throne of God. And they're clothed in white robes. They're clothed in this purity. The white robes, they stand for purity. They stand for something has happened in their lives. There's been a changing. There's been a difference. There's been uh, uh, some kind of transformation. Remember that picture that I showed from the pig? Going from the pig to the human being? Eating slop to eating McBurgers, pizza, french fries, things that are uh, uh, good, that taste good to our nature. This is what happens when Jesus saves us. When Jesus saves us, our nature changes, and we're able to stand before God and enter into his presence, because the only thing that keeps us from there is sin. When we stand before that final day on that judgment day, because the Bible says that every man, to every man that has appointed that they will die one time, and then after that will come judgment. So there's that judgment, but because of what Jesus has done, the Bible says that Jesus knew no sin but he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So that day when Jesus suffered on the cross, we were not saved because he was beaten. We were not saved because there was a crown of thorns placed upon his head. We were not saved because he was spit upon. We were saved because he took the punishment that we deserved for our sinful nature. Just to give you a personal uh, testimony for myself, I grew up in a, in a single parent home, but I grew up with a with the reality, I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. Um, and so my claim to fame, or the thing that I always did was I would steal. I would go to the, y you guys have a YMCA out here? I would go to the YMCA, I had a membership, I would go through every single locker, take the wallets out of people's pants pockets, steal their money. Uh, back in the days when I was growing up, we had cassette tape players and Walkman, you know, I'm getting old now. But uh, I would steal these things. My grandmother had a business. She, they had a flower company when I was growing up. I knew how much money she would make, where she would put it, how much I could take every week without her noticing. This was just something that uh, I had an inf you know, a bad influence early on, and I just kept getting worse and worse. 
And I was telling you, I grew up in a town of 400 people. When you grow up in a town with nothing to do, you find crazy things to do. Breaking the houses. Once that gets, you know, boring after a while, you start going in, finding things to take, catching things on fire, burning houses down. I mean, just really bad things. So all of this was just escalating, getting worse and worse and worse. And when Jesus saved my life, I was 16 years old. I put my trust in him. And from that day forward, I can't say that I haven't made mistakes, but what I can say is that every time that I'm, que- I'm faced with that, that moment, what if you stand before God? And guess what? You told a lie yesterday. No, I know that Jesus suffered in my place for every lie that I told. Jesus suffered in our place for every wrong that we did. Jesus took upon himself every sin that we committed. And so here we have people standing before God, holy, point two, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And most of us know that, but we're just looking through this again from the text, what has happened. Jesus is our reason for salvation. But number three, our, re- our response to what Jesus did for us should be to worship. You see the angels there in response to what's happening. These people from every nation, every tribe, every people group coming to Jesus. Now the angels are worshiping God in heaven. That's the natural response to what Jesus did in reaching these people. And so as we see this all play out, Romans gives us a a key insight. Worship is more than just singing. Worship is also what we do with our lives. Paul said, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, by what Jesus has done for you on the cross, I urge you, give your lives as a spiritual sacrifice unto worship. And so giving our lives is even worship unto him. So as we reflect, we're looking at the mission of God. How many here can say today we're here because Jesus saved our lives? How many can with assurance say, I believe God in what he had said when Jesus took my place upon the cross? Amen. So we're here as Christians. We're here as believers. We're here trying to wrestle through these things. We do it in small groups. We do it in, in, in the times together. But as we're looking at missions as a whole, God has this huge mission. He wants to reach the whole world because you guys know when you're going through a hard time, where do you find your peace? Through God, through his word through his presence, through him speaking to you, through him comforting you, through him using other people. Have you ever had a friend that has come up and given you a word of encouragement and it came just at the right time? Sometimes God will use those things to uh, order and orchestrate your life. So here we go. God is using all those things. We have experienced what Jesus has done, but there are two billion people around the world who have never heard about what Jesus has done for them. 2 billion people. That's 40% of the world in which we live in. That would be like, it's a huge percentage. And real quickly, I want to go through three things that we can do as the people of God uh, to help see the nations. Because we've been given a picture that one day every nation will come before Jesus and worship him. But how can we have a play? Because we've been called to be a part of this purpose. The first thing we can do is as Christians, we can pray. How many have been keeping, um, keeping in the loop with ISIS and what's going on and those things with the attacks in France? The normal response, I mean, this, I know this might be touchy, stepping on some people's uh, toes here, but I work in an environment. I live on an island, a million and a half people, and it's 99% Islam, 99% Muslim. I've seen pastors shot in the head and die. I've seen evangelists beaten and dragged in the middle of the streets and left 
uh, without any help. I've seen churches burn down. I've seen bombs go off. I have pictures on my computer that were sent to me of guys that were left over from the bombing attacks, one leg here, one arm there. This is a reality of things that are happening. But we need to realize, even in the midst of other people's hatred or their attacks that they're doing, God still loves them. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for them. So I want to tell you that even though you're wrestling through these emotions, these are things maybe we'll deal with in our, in our question groups or, or with, your, with your leaders here and there. But God loves those people that he sent Jesus to die for their sins and we can have a part to play in seeing those people come to Jesus. When we pray, I believe, and the Bible gives warrant, that when we pray, God moves. God hears the prayers of those who are his people, those who are called by his name. And we can pray for people around the world like ISIS, some of these people groups, and God can save them. He can, he can send people their way. He can use different uh, things. The Bible says that all of creation speaks to the glory of who God is. He is revealed throughout creation. So our prayers can have an impact upon what's happening around this world. So one, there's, a group of, there's a type of uh, people group that have never heard the gospel. I'm going to show three things we can do correlated with three uh, types of people groups that have never heard. The first group of people never hearing the gospel are people that are separated from Jesus because of a language barrier. Are you guys following along? Oh, Can I have three volunteers? I need Jordan, I need a girl, an older girl, Courtney, and I need a little, a young one. All right. So there are, I need you guys to follow. This is, this is going to be, I'm going to try and do this as fast as I can. There are people that live around this world that have never heard about who Jesus is. Remember, 40% of the world, 2 billion people never heard about the Jesus that we know. One type of those people are people that don't know who he is because no one speaks their language. There are groups of people that speak in clucks, like chickens. That is the language that they speak. They don't have an alphabet, A, B, C, D, E. They don't have a vocabulary. They speak in clucks. So I'm going to need you guys to get your cluck on. Can you cluck? Can you guys? Okay. We got a father, Jordan. We got mother, Courtney. What's your names? Gabrielle. She's the little kid. So I'm just imagine, because these people have never heard about Jesus, but there's nobody that can bring the gospel to them because no one who knows who Jesus is speaks their clucking language. They're... No one, no one knows it. You can't find it. There's no alphabet. So how are these people supposed to know about Jesus? We have, we have come up with a strategy where you can send missionaries and over the course of about 10 years, learn the language and translate the story of who Jesus is. You guys want to see how this folds out? Okay. This is the family from the island, and they speak kukalakalakali. That's what your language is called, okay? Kukalakalakali. You guys got that? And they, no, this is real. This is not made up. There are thousands of villages like this all throughout Papua New Guinea. If you don't believe me, just Google it. Google has everything. <laughs> so, kuku, kuka, kuka, laka, laka, something like that. Anyways, their language is clucks. You guys need to cluck when I get to you, okay? So, I get to their village as a missionary, and all I do is speak English. But they don't know any English. So, I'm like, what's up, man? Yeah, he's just, he's clucking away. And so, for like days, I'm trying to trying to, you know, get through and learn things, and I'm realizing I'm getting nowhere. So from that point forward, 
we make a decision, we're going to learn your language. So I start by pointing to a man. And what is man? Oh, wow. So I'm going to write that down. Man, can you guys do that for me? Good. All right, woman, what is woman? Okay, that's easy. I, I can do that. Woman, I write it down. And child, what is a child? Okay. You guys got that one? So we have man, woman, child, and I'm recording it word for word. Bird? You know, I mean, there's all different kinds of variations, but I'm writing down word for word for word. This would take five years, and thanks. You guys did a great job. Give them a hand of applause. Five years to learn that language, and then after those five years, we can create an alphabetic structure. We can create a vocabulary, and then we're able to begin to translate the gospel into their language. And we can start with the story. I mean, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about big words, just simple words. God loved the world, you know, simple words, and you can finally get the gospel into their language. So we have the strategy, we're doing it, but one way to see these people who have never heard is through our prayers. Would you guys, I mean, consider that you could have a, you could have a chance to pray for these people and see them come to know Jesus so African time works as well with being late. It also works with going over time. So Sam, stand up and start going like this. Oh, I'm good on time? Okay. The second thing we can do is we can give. We can give. You might be thinking, what's the, what's the average age group in here? 17. What's the youngest we have, like 12, 13? 11 all the way up to 21. Okay. 11 to 21. So we got people of all age groups. But you might be thinking, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, either way, some of you don't have jobs, some of you do have jobs and you're paying for college, but you're like, how can I possibly give? I can barely pay for McDonald's, I can barely pay for my school, I can barely pay for this. How can I give money to go to missions? Well, I want to encourage you that sometimes, I mean, actually, all the time, God has given you a brain. How many have brains? Some of us? Okay. I have half of a brain, but some, all of us, God has given us a brain, and he's given us creativity to use that brain. So sometimes we don't have money, but we can come up with ways to raise money to give to missions. Watch this. I, I met one kid, 17 years old, from Pennsylvania, because I travel to a lot of churches and share about missions. 17. Who's 17 in here? 16. You're 17? All right, you're going to be our example. 17 years old, just like this kid, Max, right? Isaiah. Isaac. is Your brother's Max, right? No? All right. Anyways, Isaac, seven, 17 years old. There's a kid from Pennsylvania. He had an idea, just an idea. You know, his church was talking about missions, all these things that they could do. He's like, you know what? I want to I help those poor people. Or I want to help those people who've never heard about the gospel. He had an idea. Everybody has an old cell phone that they don't use anymore. Everybody has an old cell phone. So he's like, I'm just going to start asking my friends, my family, my neighbors, go to businesses, all these kinds. He just went everywhere he could asking people for their old cell phones, telling them all the money would go to missions, you know, or some kind of uh, human aid relief or something like that. And so he just goes and goes and goes. Over six months, he was able to raise or to get all of these boxes full of phones. Six months, he raised $16,000 
huge Donald Trump voice, huge, $16,000. <laughs> a 17, bro, you can do it. God has given us gifts, talents. Uh, some of us have skills. I know a lady, she cuts hair. That's her job. That's her occupation. Every Wednesday, it's her day off. She goes to a room in the church, and every Wednesday for eight hours, she'll cut people's hair. She'll say, I'm not asking you to give me a certain amount of money. Whatever you have. If you have $1, you can give it. I'll still cut your hair. If you have $100, you can give it. I'll still cut your hair. But at the end of the day, all the money goes to missions. These guys, I was balling with these guys earlier, right? You guys like to play basketball? Are you pretty good? I think you're pretty good. Better than most kids at your school? No? All right, well, Jordan's pretty good. I, I've played Jordan before. If you're a baller and you're like, man, I'm good. Nobody can beat me. And you're like, God gave me a gift and I want to use it. Go challenge 10 kids for $10 a game and raise $100 in a day and give it to missions. Amen? <laughs> you know, there's, you guys can be strategic. You can think outside of the box. But God has called each and every one of you uh, to play a part in helping this thing. So I'm going to show you the second group of people that have never heard the gospel. The second group are people, remember the first one, no one spoke their language. The second one, their geographical distance is really far away. So no one could bring them the gospel of Jesus because they can't get to their village. So all across the eastern side of Madagascar, there are hundreds of villages that are in the mountaintops or in the valleys, and it would take any human being six days to hike those mountains to get there. You can't drive, you can't swim, you can't take a boat. The villages are impossible to get to. So we have come up with a strategy to reach those people because they have never heard about Jesus. We've come up with a strategy to do what we call helicopter missions. Dun, dun, dun. You'll rent a helicopter for like two or three days and you'll bring one of these local pastors and go into the village. I mean, this is like covert op. The helicopter can't even land in the village because it's so small. Like, it's, these villages are in the mountains. You ever watch that Discovery Channel and people, the clothes that they're wearing are like out of bamboo. They're not even wearing t-shirts. These people have never left their village because it's impossible to get out. So they've never met anyone outside of their village. Uh, so we would bring these helicopters into their village. They can't land, but like that ladder that shoots over on the side and you've got the, this old 60 year old guy who's got a big beard like he's climbing down then you've got this African pastor and he'll preach the gospel share the simple truth about who Jesus is that pastor will translate the gospel and for the first time the village is able to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and people who make a decision people who make uh, uh, go forward and say I want to follow Jesus that pastor will then stay there plant a church and keep continuing that church from generation to generation. And so, I mean, it's not cheap to rent a helicopter to get into those places. So sometimes your giving goes big to those places. And then the third uh, group of people, I'm trying to go fast, the third group of people who have never heard, uh, so the third thing we can do to go with that is we can go. I almost skipped that. The third thing we can do is we can go. We can pray, we can give, or we can go. And this third one, not all of us are called to do. All of us are called. We've been given a commission to go and make disciples, to go and tell people about Jesus. But not everyone, let me make this clear, not everyone is called to go to another country to be a missionary. But some of you, I believe, would be called to go to those places. 
and, uh, and God calls people. He called me. Just to give you a little uh, testimony, I come from a family that was racist. Sometimes you think that doesn't exist anymore. That's not real. I'm from a small town, 400 people. Western, just think of West Virginia. I'm like half an hour outside of West Virginia in western Pennsylvania. When I grew up, my grandmother, we would walk into a restaurant, and if someone was cooking food that wasn't white, she would make us leave the restaurant right away. I grew up in an environment that was completely racist. And so uh, until the day that I got saved, I had the same mentality, the same thoughts, the same hatred uh, towards people that weren't like myself. But when Jesus saved me, and especially now that when uh, God called me to Africa, he completely broke that, that, that bondage of, of racism on my life. And in fact, right before I left for Africa, uh, when I was in college, I brought one of my African friends from college to my house for Christmas, and he cooked an African meal for my entire family. And he prayed in his language a blessing over my entire family. And I watched God begin to mend in front of the same grandma who wouldn't let me go to those places. And so uh, when I say, you know, go to missions, I had no desire to go to Africa. I came from a, a racist family. I'm tall, I'm white, and I'm awkward. They dance in Africa. I ain't got no rhythm. I'm like, don't break my heart. You know, <laughs> my ache can break. I can't dance. I can't sing. I can't. I, there's nothing. I hate the hot weather. I turn so red. You ever see, uh, what's the guy from SpongeBob, the, the crab guy? Mr. Krabs. I turn that color whenever this, when I get sunburned. One time we went to South Carolina. I got the worst sunburn in the world. I had you're not even going to hear. I had bubbles growing all over my neck because I re the way that it responds, I could have so many excuses why I shouldn't go to Africa. But when God calls you, he will work it all out. And so uh, some of you, I believe even today, maybe these are just seeds being planted, but you're like, wow, one day I want to be a part of going. I like to pray. I like to give. But one day I'd like to go. So the third group of people that have never heard about Jesus, and this is where we're going to close and we're going to wrap the third group of people, they are separated from Jesus because of a religious structure or, or group. Maybe like Islam, Buddhism, communism, all kinds of structures around the world. And so I'm going to give you one more story. Uh, we went, we're living, I told you, on a small little island, and it's 99% Muslim. These islands are called Zanzibar. Anyone ever hear of Tanzania? Tanzania is a, a nice big country in Africa. I've been to Tanzania. I've been in the Serengeti where we pitch tents, and there's elephants that walk right between your tents. You go over to the bathroom in the woods, and there's a giraffe standing right next to you. I've been uh, right there in Tanzania, but right off the eastern coast of Tanzania, there's five little islands, the islands of Zanzibar, 99% Muslim. These people have never heard the gospel or who Jesus is because from the time they're born until the time they're dead, they're just taught uh, you know, the five fundamentals of Islam. Here's, here's what Islam is. Here's what it teaches. Here's the Quran. If you even question anything about this book, God will never forgive you. And they just completely fill their minds without giving them a chance or a choice to hear anything else. And so after hearing that, it broke my heart. God was working on me. I decided to go. Well, fast forward about a year and a half of being there. And uh, there's, this, there's this town called Stonetown. In the town, there's 52 mosques, 52 mosques, zero churches, 52 mosques, zero churches. And there's 50,000 or more people. There's a lot of people living there. 
in the town, there's also a bunch of shops where people make little objects out of wood. They, they make clothes, things like that. Well, we're walking through the town, and uh, we stop at one of these shops, and we began talking to this guy. His name was Rashid, telling us about his family, telling us all these different things. Well, all of a sudden, we noticed Rashid had a really short arm. Um, his arm was stuck in one location, and he couldn't move it. You guys have to uh, understand, you know, as we read the Bible, we look at the picture and the person of who Jesus is. Jesus lived on this earth, uh, and Jesus had the power to heal people of their diseases. There was a lady who suffered with a blood condition for 12 years. I mean, I'm not talking about like a cold or some kind of sickness. Her internal organs were so messed up for 12 years, it just... Uh, it caused her pain. It caused her all these kinds of reliefs. She tried to go to the doctor. She tried to go to the psychiatrist, all these different places. No one had an answer. But she heard, this is from the Bible. This is, you know, a thousand years ago when Jesus was living and walking. She heard there's a man named Jesus that anyone he touches, they're healed. And all these people uh, were healed and delivered from certain things. And she had enough faith to believe if I just touch a piece of the clothing that he's wearing, my disease can be healed. So we believe that Jesus still heals today. And so as we're talking to this man, Rashid, there in the town, all those Muslims, you know, living and working and doing their shops and everything that they're doing, this man, Rashid, has this really tiny arm. And we just felt, I mean, I didn't hear an audible voice of God. I just felt, you know, God loves this man. And how awesome would it be if God healed him and that was a branch for him to hear about Jesus? And so we just asked, hey, can, Rashid, can we pray for you? and believe that Jesus would heal you. So he agreed, and right there in front of all these people, we start praying for Rashid. I'm not, you know, we didn't yell, we just asked God, we believe that you heal, we believe that you're good, we believe that you love him, and we ask that you would touch Rashid and show him who you are. Immediately, Rashid's arm, Rashid's arm is able to move like never before. He moved, his arm was like this, he was born that way, he was never able to move his arm. For years he suffered, he was a middle-aged guy, and when we prayed, he was able to move his arm for the first time. Rashid filled with so much excitement, so much joy, uh, so, much, so much enthusiasm. He begins to uh, thank us because he thought we did something. Immediately, we pointed him back to Jesus. We gave Rashid a New Testament in his language and said, look, I want you to read about the man that healed you, Jesus. Read his story, read his life, read about who he was and, and, who he, and what he wants to reveal to you. And so we gave him that book, uh, gave him some advice, and we prayed for him again, and then we left. A week later, we come back to the same place. Rashid is sitting down on the step of his shop, reading that New Testament in front of all of his Muslim friends and those shop owners. And we begin to ask Rashid questions. Rashid, so can you tell me what God is speaking to you through this book? And Rashid starts quoting more Bible verses than I could quote. <laughs> He's like going, he almost quoted whole passages and, and, and chapters of the book of John. And he gets to the point where he says, did you know? He's asking me, did you know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. And I began to say, yes, do you believe that? And with tears coming down his eyes, he says, with all of my heart. And so here we've got a man who's never heard the gospel in a, in a, in a place where if he, if he gets saved, and I'm, I'm not talking about, uh, yes, just getting saved, but he, if he were to be found going to a church or something like that would happen, his family would reject him, his neighborhood, his village would reject him, his, uh, not just his parents, but his cousins, his relatives, all of those, they would reject him. 
His whole country being Islamic would reject him. He wouldn't be able to find a job. He wouldn't be able to find all those kind of things. And so Rashid comes to this point where he says, I've seen Jesus touch my arm, heal me, and now I've read these things about who he is, and I want to believe on him. But Rashid doesn't come from, you know, a church background. He doesn't know Hillsong worship. He doesn't know how to lift his arms and praise God like that. But he believes these things that were spoken about Jesus. And so our strategy as we're working there, as we've responded to going uh, to advancing God's kingdom, is to watch people like Rashid. We've got a Rashid, we've got a Muhammad, an Abdallah, all these people God has touched. And we bring them together for the first time and we say, hey, look, we want you to meet each other. And maybe Rashid meets Abdallah for the first time and says, hey, my name's Rashid, what's your name? I'm Abdallah. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. And it's like a light bulb goes off. No way, Jesus changed my life too. And the church begins to, to create itself and, and you're able to foster that and they do Bible studies and they pray. And we're watching churches being planted in Islamic regions and God is doing great things. So I wanna encourage you guys, I know some of this is deep, some of it, maybe it's a lot too much in one little time. God has this big plan. God has a purpose. He wants to reach the nations. It's a task far too impossible for any one of us to do in and of ourselves. But we've been given the end of the story. One day before the throne of God, worshiping Jesus for who he is, there will be people from every nation, every tribe, and every people group. And we, as the people of God, the children of God, especially those of you who are young and think, I can't do anything. I've got no money. Uh, I've got too many video games to play, to pray. I've got too many, you know, other, too many boyfriends and girlfriends to talk to. We have so many excuses, but I want to tell you, God has called you. He has a purpose for your life. He wants to use you. And I really believe it that through these avenues, some of us, not all of us are called to go, but some of you, I believe, are. You have questions. You're like, man, I would love to do a helicopter mission one day. I want to see people like that get saved. Man, I would love to see God show up and just heal somebody. Maybe you've never seen something like that. Maybe you want to see Muslims coming to Jesus. Maybe you want to come to that point where you say, I want to see those people for the first time, like their eyes open and say, Jesus, I don't even know what Jesus would be in clucking. I, I'm not even going to try. But you maybe you want to see those and you say, look, something's burning and stirring within me. You have questions. Talk to your pastors. Talk to your leaders. They can help facilitate that, help plug you in, help pray with you to get to that point. But those of you who are like, you know, I'm not called to go. I'm fine where I'm at. I enjoy the cold, the rain, the beautiful Northwest. We can pray and we can go to make a difference for these people to come to know Jesus. And some of you, I believe, could be like that 17-year-old even raising a huge amount of money and make a difference in this world. And so as we respond, uh, one, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask Pastor Sam if you could lead a prayer, not just for me, but for us, for the people of God, so that the nations would continue to come to Jesus. But two, we can also give. And so we're going to do that tonight and give our offerings. I think who's going to win tonight, the boys or the girls? girls, boys, but we can give to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Step. <laughs> First of all, I want to be a Navy SEAL pastor. That sounds so legit. They don't even touch the ground. They just rappel out of the helicopter. <laughs> the gospel. I'm like, I'll be a Navy SEAL pastor any day. So next week I'm coming down from the top. But listen, man, I'm sitting here and I'm watching my college buddy. <laughs> oh God. Dude, I'm so pumped for you, man. Like, can you believe we're here right now? 
You know, like we were in college doing stupid things till two in the morning. And here's a, a dude that like, man, only God knows. But here's a, a dude that responded to the gospel. He, in college, he felt the Lord tugging on his heart. Zach, I'm sending you to Africa. He saved a racist and then sent him to Africa. Am I the only one that sees the irony in that? Are you kidding me? That's God. And so here I see Zach here after responding to Jesus and all he did was this. He just put up his hands, not literally. I remember the point in college where he just broke and he just said, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever you want, Lord. I'm in. And so today, guys, like he said, you may not all go overseas. I think some of you will. And and we want to be a youth group that continues to foster those things as we listen to the Lord. But no matter what it is, whether you're praying tonight, whether you're giving, whether you say, Lord, I'm going, I want all of you guys to look at the mission of God. I want you to look at the end of the story, what God is going to do to all the world and just go, I'm in. I'm in. Lord, whatever that looks like, you tell me, but I'm in. And that's how we'll respond. And so stand to your feet with me. I'm going to pray like Zach said. I'm going to pray over Zach. And then what we're going to do is we're going to respond by giving. So girls on this side, guys on this side, we'll, we'll do our, our challenge tonight and we'll add that up. But man, let's, let's pray right now. And this is what I want you to pray. Lord, I'm in. No matter where you call me, no matter what you tell me to do, I'm in. And then let's pray for our friend Zach as well because he's going back to Africa in January, okay? And so he's going back to, to minister to Muslims on, in the island. And so he needs our prayers. Let's pray, let's give, and let's go. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, God, for your mission in this world. Thank you for what you're doing uh, through people like Zach. And so, Lord, first of all, I pray for Zach. I pray that you would give him courage. Lord, he's leaving his family. He's going overseas because there's 40% of the population that doesn't know you in this world. And so God bless him. Lord, we already know that we're gonna win. We know that you're gonna accomplish it. And so Lord, I pray that you would send him back in courage, in boldness, in energy, enthusiasm, and inspiration to do what you've called him to do. And then Lord, I pray right here, Father, for us in Vancouver, Washington, for citizens. God, we're all at different steps of the journey. Some people came here for the first time tonight and they've never even heard the gospel. They didn't even know that we can be in the family of God. And then there's some people here, Lord, that they're seniors and they've loved you their whole life and they're ready to move on to the world, but they don't know what to do. God, all of them, Lord, we all just say, Lord, we're in. You're going to win. You are the creator of the world and we want to follow you and live for you, Lord. So I pray for my little brothers and sisters here, Lord, as they pray, as they give their offerings, as they think of ways to give more, as they go into their schools, as some of them even consider going into missions after school. I pray that you would create a community here that is being transformed to your glory, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing here in Vancouver, in Citizens. Thank you for what you're doing in the world. We love you. And Lord, we say that we are in, God. Use us. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's give.